welcome to the Wilf Podcast. Episode 10. A podcast about women I like to follow. I'm your host, Tess. And I am your host, Amy. And yes, this is our 10th episode. Yeah. We are doing this. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't get you any tin presents for I just, our tin anniversary. <laughs> I also, sorry, I just looked over and realized that Ralphie is facing away from us. On the couch. Yeah, he looks... Which he never does. He's, like, sleeping like a pouty little child. Yeah, like somebody didn't invite him to their party. Oh, It was Ralphie. me. I didn't invite him to my quinceanera. Cruel. Um, yeah, so thanks for sticking with us for ten episodes. If you have, and if you're just joining us, we're real pros at this. We've yeah. done it ten times. Yeah, and, and stop it, listening and go back to number one. What are you doing? <laughs> Uh, it's not that important. That's true. It's not continuous. Um, how you been, Amy? I've been pretty good. Yeah. What you been up to? Well, that's not what we do. We ask each other specific oh, questions. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Right. We planned around <laughs> this so we wouldn't ramble. <laughs> I take it back. Amy, new question. Yeah. When you were a child, uh-huh. <laughs> child? what'd you do after school? Uh, Let's say age 12. Oh, age 12. I can tell you exactly what I did after school. I came home. And I was the first one home. I, or I Did you take the school bus home? I took the school bus home. Wow, so exotic. Yeah. <laughs> I took the school bus home, and most days it was I was coming home alone because my brother played sports and stayed at school, and my mom worked until five. And so I got home alone, and then let myself in, and I usually had green lime sherbet for snack. There were other snacks, but that was my favorite. And I'm, that was kept in inventory so much that you had it. That was my day? usual. There's always something kept that was wow. the, the after school snack, and my preference was sherbet. Mm-hmm. So usually there was sherbet in the house. Wow. Um, yeah, I love. God. <laughs> I should get some lime sherbet. Um, and I would sit in my kitchen nook and watch two episodes of MASH. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you were 62 when you were 12. <laughs> I, yeah, I watched almost all of MASH. I watched much of MASH Was this a kitchen? over and over this again. This was a kitchen TV? We had a little, a small TV. That's another exotic thing. In, in our breakfast nook area, which was connected to our kitchen. Uh-huh. But you couldn't really see it from the kitchen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, cool. And it was much smaller than our living room TV. But that was where I watched MASH, uh, which I, I really, really loved. Mm. It's very formative. I Looking back, uh, a lot of the jokes are that Hawkeye sort of harasses all the women he works with. He's like mm. constantly flirting with everyone. But I love Hawkeye. And he's a character with an extreme amount of morality and heart. But the sexual politics yeah, are not great. Hold up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tess, yeah. what did you do after school when you were age 12? Well, I was part of a, several complicated carpools <laughs> that uh, resulted in several different girls of Mount Airy and Roxborough ending up in different after-school activities. Mm-hmm. Mondays and Wednesdays, I'd be dropped off at tennis, and my dad would take the other two girls to their either house or their dance thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'd go to gymnastics Tuesday, Thursdays. Mm-hmm. Uh so it depended on the day and who was picking up who. 
there were some days that I would take the bus and then the train home. Oh, actually, that, that really was the highlight. If I had gymnastics later on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which I did because I was in the advanced group, of course, uh, I would uh, race to Suburban Station and get two cinnamon sugar Auntie Anne's pretzels Ooh. in the like three minutes before the train came at 3.42. See, now that's exotic. Taking a train by yourself as a child is yeah. so strange. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there were other kids on the in the car, but we do- certainly dominated that car. And... Uh, it was, yeah, it was very exotic now that I think about it. Uh-huh. Even to me experiencing it. I also had a red disc man on, on which I listened to the Beatles one album. Oh, I stole yeah. that from my brother and also listened to it yeah. quite a bit. Um, so similar to now, my after work activities are, were, were highly scheduled. And, uh-huh. uh, although I think that's getting better. Uh, but I spent a lot of time in cars and trains and buses and gyms. Uh, avoiding running in whatever Um, sport I was doing. In eighth grade, I actually was on track. And that is a story of intense humiliation and someone trying to do something they're not at all suited for. So let's not get into it. Uh, One moment. And we're back. We would like to introduce a new Wilf into the Pantheon. Yes. We, it is time to expand. And uh, the new Wilf is in fact, she's been around. Oh, she'd been around. Uh, her name is Lindy West. That's right. Estranged half-sister of Kanye West. You said you weren't going to make that joke, and then you, you made that joke. Uh, what's Can your, you help yourself? What's your relationship to Lindy West so far at this time in your life? So, my relationship to Lindy West is getting more intimate by the hour. Mm. Uh, my I was aware of her because my good friend Rose, shout out to Rose, uh, got her book, Shrill, as a Christmas gift from her older brother. And we talked about what a great gift that was from an older brother yeah. for him to like pay attention to that she wanted to read uh, funny feminist essays. Yeah. Uh, so I knew that I knew of that book, but I didn't really pay attention to it. And then... Uh, <laughs> Ralphie, speaking of paying attention... Yeah, Ralphie really wishes that we would pet him now. But he's settling down. He's found his thing. Anyway, so I was aware of her then. I'd never read Shrill. But then when the the TV show on Hulu, Shrill, starring A.D. Bryant, came out this past year, I was really excited for it and watched every episode with you. Mm -hmm. We enjoyed it very much. And put her new book that just came out this week, The Witches Are Coming, on my to-read list, and went out and bought it as soon as it came out, and I've been reading it today, and I love it. Yeah, that, uh, I'm, I'm glad that she's come back into my life in this way. I look forward to reading it after you. I was introduced to Lindy when she started, uh, I guess I encountered her as a columnist in the New York Times mm-hmm. op-ed section, writing about these topics. She's mm-hmm. an essayist. Um... And then I read Shrill, and I remember distinctly her writing about her abortion story, um, the strange episode in her life when a man imitating her deceased father trolled her on Twitter, and yeah. how she contacted this man and uh-huh. like had a conversation with him, and how trippy that was. Um, Shrill is a big is a is a feminist focused in general, but also on um, the liberation of fat women and mm-hmm. fat people and and. Uh, 
all everything involved. Um, and cultural critiques as well. Yeah. So, yes, for those who don't know, yeah, Lindy West is an, a columnist, an essayist, a writer, a fat woman, mm-hmm. a white woman, mm-hmm. a funny woman. Mm-hmm. And she is a wealth because right. we realized we love her. Mm-hmm. We want to follow her. She's making all different kinds of content. And she's very active on Instagram. And most other wealths that we follow, follow her. Yeah. And when I sat down at the restaurant where Amy was reading this book today, I said, Lindy West, she wealth? And you said... Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so let's check out her page. Yeah. See what's going on. She is married. I cannot remember her husband's name. Olu, she, she recently wrote it down in a caption. She has two stepdaughters from that. They met while she was a uh, comedy columnist for The Stranger, which is Dan mm-hmm. Savage's newspaper or the one that he is the editor of in Seattle. Actually, that was another really interesting part of Shrill is her description of how uh, awful Dan Savage was to fat people in his columns and around, and she over and over defended herself and her life, her life, and just and his bullying, his incessant bullying, and eventually he turned around. Uh, but damn, was that an effort? Because he was he was very much um, making fun of fat people. Yeah, so I I don't I have not read Shrill. I need to, but in watching the television show Shrill with A.D. Bryant, who I also love very dearly, um, it felt it felt really powerful to me because it was funny and it was it wasn't depressing, but it was also sort of unflinchingly look unflinchingly looking at how casually and easily people can be cruel to fat people mm-hmm. and including people within their own family yeah including other fat people and including yep. the person themselves uh and it did that without being uh like totally defeated because yeah. it's about someone f- becoming conscious of that and st- stopping just like deciding that they that's not how they're gonna live or accept being treated anymore yep which is very powerful but yeah I think it it's um it very deftly I think makes comedy out of the terrible fact that so many people feel that they can criticize and diminish and belittle fat people mm-hmm. and just insult them to their face because they are making unhealthy choices. Right. That they are an example of, I'm doing air quotes, of, of a slobby, immoral life. Yeah. Which is not true. No, not at all. And it's, and I think that, that that's very well done in the show, mm-hmm. more articulately than I'm about to. But I think, yeah, it's, um, it's an, it's like, how people think they can say whatever they want to smokers because they are making a destructive choice for themselves. But in fact, no one deserves your cruelty and dismissal. And you don't know at all why someone has the habits and patterns that they have. And everyone, everyone does wildly unhealthy things. Yep. And that's only their business. Yeah. And maybe the business of the people who love them 
if they're really good boundaries. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. Um, so her profile, a lot of pictures of her husband. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's, uh, I think she calls him Aha. Mm-hmm. Or Aha Mefule. Sorry, uh, his dude. last name is Oluo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he's cool, it seems. Anyway, but back to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of posts, a lot of selfies, a lot of things related to her books mm-hmm. um, and her, uh, the shrill cast, Life on Set book tour, which we are sad does not come to Philadelphia this time around. Yes, very sad. Um, uh, season two is coming out soon next month wow this dress is amazing she oh yeah she has a great striped dress with different sort of like the stripes going in different directions mm-hmm. and the stripe it's black and different colored stripes and it looks really great and actually sort of matches her book cover hmm. a little she's bit she's got a cute dog she's got there's a pile of wood with a snake in it look what my mom <laughs> found in the wood pile world of hashtag world of snakes That's the content <laughs> That we're looking for to help us guide our lives and make mm-hmm. decisions. Um, girl rocks a red lip. Mm-hmm. I know all I'm doing is commenting on her physical appearance, but still. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, she talks about the TV show a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and has pictures with the cast. Um, Looks like she's got a fun life. You know, obviously everybody does on... yeah yeah it's only showing a part of her life but it does seem um do you know samantha irby i am yes yeah they're friends as well because she wrote some of the episodes of shrill who has one of the best instagram handles bitches gotta eat (laughs) (laughs) um well yeah, this is just to say, I guess, that we will be checking in with her. Yeah, I am inspired by her because she she writes truth to power. She mm-hmm. writes very uh, just egregiously feminist things. <laughs> and any any celebrity or public figure or any woman in a lot of cases who shouts about their abortion faces a lot of flack. And she has led that charge. I think also, I mean, she's an excellent writer and has is known, I think, for for being funny and sharp, but also for distilling complicated ideas down to yep. a very simple point of view. It's like, oh, every there's a, she sort of cuts through the noise yeah. around topics, and it's like, no, this is the truth of the yeah. matter. Similar to Roxanne Gay as well. Would you, um, what would you say was is sort of your big takeaway from? Your experiences with Lindy West so far. Um, that she is is truly is living an unapologetic fat babe life. Mm-hmm. And that it is uh, worth listening to. Yeah. And, um, what? Uh, okay. Le- uh, I can add to that. Uh-huh. Uh, that she talks about having a very happy childhood. And I think that's an important narrative as well because there is this trope that fatness is caused always by trauma and that mm-hmm. it is the, it is the, the uh, subject, it is the result of something bad. Mm-hmm. And it is not. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is neutral in itself and we add these stories to it. And I, mm-hmm. I liked her describing her childhood. Um, 
I guess my question is, I think I think it's true that maybe her, your, your experience with her has changed how you see and talk mm-hmm. about these subjects, but is there anything that you feel from reading her or watching her that has changed how you consider something that's directly about you mm-hmm. in your life? Good question. And or um, your body? Um, not that I can think of at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't write just about fatness, so I think yeah. if I reviewed the book, I would perhaps remember a bit more. Um, just that she, uh, her her persistence in speaking back to bullies mm-hmm. is powerful to me. Right. I'm not a public figure. I don't have trolls. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and to see how one woman persistently writing and speaking about what she believes in can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I would like to do in my small smaller life. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you, Lindy, for sharing that. Yeah. And she talks openly about her grief of, of her deceased father, which I also resonate with always. So, yeah. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm just getting into my first experiences really reading her, and I'm writing down quotes, like, every ten lines. She is working (laughs) them notebooks. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I I think... um, I think she is a great example to me of how to point out hypocrisy and... And become become conscious of that within yourself, but to call to call things out and without being humorless. Mm-hmm. She's very funny. Yeah, some could say shrill. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I think you know the the huge criticism of feminists and feminism is that it's a buzzkill. Right. Um, and in general, activism and consciousness are a buzzkill. And, and they are. The realities of, of injustice in the world. And Unless we were to follow Adrienne Marie Brown and pleasure activism, activism, but we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, yeah, we will. Yeah. <laughs> we want to will her. Um, but I think she... Um, yeah, I don't know. I want to, I, uh, similarly, I would like to imitate that. I would like to live into that sort of, um, just, it feels really grown up. Yes. It feels. That's a good way to describe like, it. Like super, just like, I'm a grown woman. I'm smart enough to know what, how things actually are. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I, I don't laugh and I'm not joyful and right. things aren't funny. Um, and just because I can say, I'm just, I'm thinking a lot about the chapter I'm reading right mm-hmm. now, which is called, Is Adam Sandler Funny? And it is a hilarious chapter dissecting how, what a nightmare all of Adam Sandler's <laughs> movies are for humankind. Mm. Um, and it's, she's being very funny while sort of just, just like pointing out how, we have considered these other things funny that are, in fact, really um, at the expense of other people's humanity. Right. Um, and I don't think she's doing this at the expense of Adam Sandler's humanity. I right. think she's po- poking fun of things he has made 
and choices he has made without saying that he is right. uh, a... I'm sure she already has trolls about it. Although oh, I, I think certainly. actually one of the last things I remember her reading maybe a year or two ago is that she was quitting Twitter because it was so toxic. Yeah, <clears throat> I can I, like, I can believe it. I hear that. Um, so thank you, Lindy yeah. West, for all your contributions so far to culture and our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, tell Kanye I said hey. <laughs> Um, so uh, it's time to take a break for advertising. That's right. Um, here on the Earwolf Network, we have uh, we, we have a, a sister podcast that we want to promote. Uh, Amy, tell us a little bit about Hello Mother, Hello Father. Mm. Uh, Hello Mother, Hello Father is a uh, a a nostalgia podcast. Basically, it's a podcast where people who went to summer camp as children uh, find old letters uh, that they wrote to to their parents or that they got from their parents while they were at summer camp and they use those to just as a launching pad to mm. talk about the summer camp experience and homesickness and you, the first tastes of independence uh-huh. care packages there's a huge care package section yes. in each episode um, Infections from bug bites. Is maternal love represented in sewing one's name label into the back of all your clothes? Is it? Are you loved less if it was an iron in? That's right. Name label. Uh, the hosts are. Uh, the hosts are uh, Lennon Parham. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Great. Com- uh, should we do real people? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of people who, actual uh, funny people who I know who have been to camp. But no, no, Lennon Parham's just a noted guest. Yes, that's um, right. No, the hosts are um, uh, uh, Jeff Brynworthy, mm-hmm. uh, lifelong camp counselor and shorts wearer, mm-hmm. and uh, Katie Tybalt. Yep. Yep, who is... Uh, really just famous far and wide for uh, her ability to wear an entire forearm's worth of friendship bracelets mm-hmm. uh, and until and she has been for 20 years yeah, none now. None of her wishes have ever come true. She's through. never cut off a single friendship yeah. bracelet. That's right. Mm-hmm. Notable guests Lennon Parham, Michelle Wolf, John Hodgman, uh, uh, Joe Biden. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. the camp goers. Yep. Listen to wherever you get your cast. And hopefully, yes. Yeah. Both as both camp goers, and we are. We are in the Earwolf Network. So yeah. Sister Pod, check them out. Check them out. out. Give them a listen. Every, hello, mother. Hello, father. Every Saturday at two p.m. Right at <laughs> checkout. All right. Let's get into Instagram. Oh, hello, Glennon. Glennon. Doyle. Shagirl Glennon coming at you with the true stuff. Oh my god. (laughs) That's me stalling until I find her page. Um, Glennon had some good posts recently, specifically one from six days ago, where Mm -hmm. it's a video that Abby took. uh, Unclear, it's in their bedroom, it looks like. Glennon is going on a long rant about a, a faux name plaque that says like a boss yes like the type of nameplate that would sit on a desk yes. in an office right and maybe you've seen something like this before inspirational you know mm-hmm. a female employee has this on her desk and it's like yeah work like a boss you know ask for a raise like a boss whatever uh-huh. Lennon's main rant is why do you have to be like a boss yeah just be a boss if no man would ever have 
quote, like a boss on their desk. They would just have a boss right. slash their name because they're professionals. Right. And this is a this is a great point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know. And and, she- uh, what is outrageous, though, <laughs> about this is that Abby does hold up her watch to the camera at one point, And this is at 7.30 in the morning <laughs> that she is truly ranting about yeah. <laughs> this yeah. nameplate. As if she, like, came out of the bathroom and was like, we have this thing above the toilet, and I need to make a statement about it. (laughs) She captions this, in which I was forced to deliver my morning smash the patriarchy family briefing at 7.30 a.m., even though Abby has repeatedly requested I wait till after 9. I remain steadfast in my belief that the greatest threat to injustice and all micro and macro aggression are are highly caffeinated angry women with a relentless hope and fury. G. Hashtag a boss. boss. (laughs) Which she very much is a boss. They both are. Uh, yeah, that's, that really is a good point. Like, I, yeah, don't, uh. I, yeah, it makes me think, uh, about all of the things sort of in that, all of the sort of cutesy, stylized, hashtagable, mm-hmm. memeable things that are marketed to women. And girls, yeah. To sort of decorate and personalize their workspace that in fact undermine their professionalism yeah. and respectability. Do you... Would, yeah. No, I was going to go on for far longer than well, I needed Well, do you remember that, that podcast up where she talked about how, I forget which podcast she was on, but how like her, her daughter's shampoo have all of these, these right. names like wispy and willowy and fresh and mm. beautiful and dreamy and her hus- and her son's was things like, you know, be strong, win like a champion, yeah. sweat like a demon. Fight dirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, why do we get these wispy things? It's interesting. the same product. Yeah, how she navigates. She's not anti-femme by any means. No, she's a very... She's When we saw her, she was wearing, like, full glitter harem pants. Yeah. And stilettos. Right, and she's not (laughs) anti-feeling. She's very pro-sensitivity, pro, like, follow your heart. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But she is no shrinking violet. No. She's not into the toxic femininity that results in uh, quietude and... um, not holding boundaries and eating disorders and things like that. And I think it's, that's a really, I'm glad you said it because that's what I was going to say. It's a really important distinction that I don't think it's wrong to enter any space in as, as feminine a way, as femme a way, as, as you feel and as is appropriate to your gender expression and identity that, that if it's to your taste Mm -hmm. and if it makes you feel focused and activated and strong and comfortable to make your workspace like to have really attractive flowery Mm -hmm. notepads that's the kind of thing i love a rifle paper company (laughs) that's a little buzz marketing Mm -hmm. but they have all of these like flowery beautiful notepads and date planners and um you get like a even like i i don't want to use the word cutesy because that's demeaning Mm -hmm. but like a bulletin board that has cursive yeah that has cursive you can do things that are unfortunately so close to things like like a boss that i think they get confunded yes that's a harry potter term (laughs) (laughs) confundo um that people think just because you have chosen to have a particular design aesthetic right. and 
and to sort of nest in your space that you also maybe buy into a mug that's like number one bitch (laughs) or like or uh there's one the big thing that I think um uh oh that um I can't remember playing charades I I can't remember the name of the brand that all of Lily Pulitzer Close. Kate Spade oh, yeah. um, has all of these planners that says, I'm very, very, very busy. Oh, <laughs> they which have, is actually a toxic idea. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like, yeah, it's playing on a lot of things. It's that your your worth is measured by how little time right. you have and for yourself and others. Yeah. And <laughs> Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee and don't talk to me again until I've had my wine. Oh my God, wait, can I, I got a just brief break. I got... A uh, text from Sam today, which I can't believe I haven't responded to. Um, she is in Florida at some coffee shop, and there's a sign that said, "All I need today is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus." Oh my god! <laughs> I I love that I'm the person who gets sent yeah. a picture. Of that. Glennon does seem to like caffeine, but anyway, back but, to our back to our. But uh, I'm very 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 busy. Is the idea of one like too yeah, cool ha- for school having no time is what makes you important and valuable right and also that yeah i can never imagine an important like i think there's a caitlin moran who is a great mm-hmm. yeah. hilarious feminist writer how to be a girl from england how, how to be, be a, a woman, woman excuse me not a girl not yet a woman am I right? uh, <laughs> she has a a test which is would this like would it be okay if John Stewart did it. Mm. She was like, "Who is it? A really professional, but approachable and and moral and ethical yeah. seeming um, man." I cannot imagine a John Stewart walking. A, a white man, yeah. also who has all of this privilege, and it's like, would one would it be strange if he were ostracized for doing this? Mm. And that's how you can judge if someone's being like a misogynist to you if they would never dream of doing it to someone like John Stewart. Yeah. Or, and if they did this, would it be outrageous and unprofessional yeah. and strange? And it's like, yeah, can you imagine John Stewart walking around with a mm-hmm. clipboard that says, I'm very, very, <laughs> very busy? But he is. Right. Or he was. Right. But per- exclaiming it in that way is this sort of like, it's like. That's... It's not enough to be a personality. And it's, and it's, um,. It's childish. It's yeah. it's not how adults with jobs speak. Right. I'm very 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 busy. Yeah. I I'm like a bo- I'm doing I'm gonna do my job like, like a, a boss. boss. Yeah. No, I am the boss. I, yeah. And I think it's. I've I've already said this in so many words, but drawing that line where it's like you can, I can like. Um, I, feminine things. Yeah. And draw the line at at describing myself as anything other than what I am. Yeah. Like I am not like a boss. I am mm-hmm. not a boss. I'm yeah. not very, very, very busy. Right. It's I have important responsibilities. Yeah. And then I and I intend to do them. With yeah. style and panache. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh so thank you, Glennon. I, I really do like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I, I do like is the girls that I work with, um, they're young, they're under 15, and a lot of them have really cool shirts that mm-hmm. say things like, 
uh, best self. Oh. And um, and they're pretty. Like they have a femme style to them, but but it's not pretty pretty princess. Uh-huh. It's not. Um, uh, watch out, boys. <laughs> it's like best self or or um, self love is my superpower or <laughs> right. Which I mean, this if it's not combined with intentionality and like other you know the stuff we're talking about later, it does end up just being love and light. But uh-huh. but that, but I like that that's out there for um, for young girls. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think, the, and there, and there are gender neutral versions as well yeah. that are not. Instead just of some saying like "daddy's little princess yeah. whore," <laughs> <laughs> shut me up if I talk too much. <laughs> um, give me coffee so that I don't have time to talk. <laughs> yeah. Oops, forgot my nails. Um, um, also, wait, just a brief. I think we're we're praising Glennon for this idea mm-hmm. that she, but I want to take a moment put a critical eye on this post and look at her pants what are they they are camo sweatpants with rainbow stripes down Hell the yeah. side <laughs> she looks mad comfortable she's wearing a sweatshirt that says own your story <laughs> which is yeah a, a good um yeah is that from counterpoint <laughs> to like a boss is that from hello sunshine or from together rising it's probably from together rising yeah which is her company yeah I can't decide how I feel about the camo pants with the rainbow so comfortable. They do look extremely comfortable. And I guess it is a sort of blending of masculinity and feminism, mm-hmm. maybe, or femininity. Maybe that's a commentary. Maybe it's, it's, you know, a gay thing on this traditionally masculine thing. In that way, sure. It could also but just in be the way pajamas. of <laughs> just what my eyes like to rest on. Uh-huh. That's a brace. <laughs> I could not imagine you wearing a camo anything. Like, not even a... I mean, me neither. I would no. never... I had a Barbie <laughs> when I, I... Well, to be totally honest, I had a Skipper when Skipper is Barbie's, like, young cousin. Oh. Or, visiting from out of town? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, and she was my favorite because she was the cool teen. Oh. You know, Barbie's like a grown woman. But is she? But Skipper was a teen. Yeah, she has a Jeep. She ha- Oh, I she, guess, yeah, she's got yeah. a driver's license and a husband? What? Yeah. <laughs> um, but my teen Skipper doll had a streak of blue in her hair, Hot. and she wore uh, blue camo oh, pants God. and, like, a blue crop top, and I was like, this is the coolest look. Damn. It was, like, very, I guess, TLC is what I want to say. They were Maybe. kind of mimicking, and that, like, the baggy cargo pants yeah, and very the tiny 90s. shirt. Um, I will say I never followed through and did that myself. So you're right. No camera for this girl. (laughs) Uh, uh, There's also a video of them playing charades and it looks so effing fun. She's wearing (laughs) the same sweatshirt. Okay. um, The other Ah. thing I wanted to mention is that on uh, November 2nd, she posted something really profound. It's a, a picture of a bunch of gold balloons spelling out the phrase, you did not waste your love ever on a exposed brick background. Good morning. Reject the ridiculous idea that the only successful love is love that lasts forever in its original form. Love is successful if it grew you and deepened you and widened you and made you more tender and wise. That's all. No book you've ever read, song you've ever sung, art you've ever made, work you've ever done, healing you've ever surrendered to, love you've ever lost. None of it was wasted. It's all there right beneath you like rich soil. You drink from it. I That hit me on yeah. that day. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is especially relevant as I pursue online dating because there's a lot of missteps in online in dating in general you know you think you like someone and then you don't or vice versa or (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
or it just doesn't go anywhere, or right. you have a three month thing and it seems nice, but it uh, it peters out, or right. you get married and you get divorced, or you know somebody dies. All of these things happen to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, even amicable amicable breakups have disastrous feelings attached to them. I think. Right? Yeah. Um, no, heartbreak is real, real. Yeah, and it, I think it can be a deterrent for a logical person like myself to be like, well, you know what? Everything's going to end up either in breakup or death. So, mm-hmm. what's the point? You know, mm-hmm. like oh, these I had in 2014 and 2015. I had these two three-month relationships that didn't really amount to much. I learned some things, mm-hmm. and for a long time, I was like, oh god, what a waste! Mm-hmm. Totally wasted that time. I really messed up. I really did it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were to write down the things that I got out of it, mm-hmm. and that's even too, if I just think about in the moment that I had moments of happiness and that was enough. I think right. it relates to. Elizabeth Gilbert's creativity idea that it does not matter so much about what you produce, it's how it changes you in the process. Well, I was going to say, especially that last little section that you read about um, nothing ever being wasted is a, in a different context. It has, I have heard Elizabeth Gilbert say that, those mm-hmm. exact words, like none of it is wasted, nothing is ever wasted. Right. And she is talking specifically about creativity in that, in that context. She's saying... Um, like any draft, even if you have a bad draft or something. Yeah, a story that you write that never gets published mm-hmm. or goes anywhere. And also experiences you experiences you have and work that you do that is not directly towards your goal. Which is sort of the the creative professional version of this. That, like love that you have that isn't your one true love, your lasting mm-hmm. love, the love that you build a home and a family with. Um, it's still valuable. It's still love. It's still forming you as a person yeah and uh and it's still love exchanged in the world Mm -hmm. which is hugely important yeah and and i think the the counter the sort of creative world version of that is that shitty job you have that you hate Mm -hmm. um where you're sitting in a windowless office doing grunt work you're you're living your life and you're getting ideas and you're meeting people and you're getting skills you don't realize you're getting and you're learning patience and you're maturing and that or the fact that I yeah that I ran track for six months and was terrible at it and lost every single race except for one where a girl keeled over halfway through and I ran past her That's a true story. <laughs> that is that. real. Also, I was put on shot put without trying out for it just because of my body. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I had the um, salt. I was a sturdy little chunk. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what did you, uh, what was the value of your track time? Um, I learned, I mean, I think it's still being <laughs> revealed, uh, but I learned, I know terminology. I know what an 800 meter is. I know what shot put is. I know how the technique of shot put. I do not know that. And that if you threw it like a baseball, you would brutally hurt yourself. Wow. You you use your whole body, uh-huh. which makes me admire. It makes me admire Olympic athletes. Yeah. So much more. Yeah. I mean, they're already impressive, but knowing just how hard it is. And ultimately, um, you learned that you don't like to do that kind of running yeah you do not waste any more time doing it <laughs> uh, yeah I, I also learned and through many sports I tried many sports and I love many and I learned about um competitiveness and I learned about teamwork and I learned about practicing something and feeling yourself improve and I learned body awareness all these mm-hmm. things 
But something very important that I learned from many sports, most acutely track, I did not think we were going to talk about this this episode, um, was how to fail. Oh, yeah. Repeatedly and publicly, over and over again, with my parents watching. Hmm. Wow. And, um, And friends of mine watching, and my brother watching, and... It was really embarrassing. It was truly, I felt a lot of shame about the fact that I was the actual slowest person on the team. And stranger middle school boys clapping me in hmm. from the other team, waiting for the race to start, which they couldn't start until I finished, wow. until I chugged across the finish line. And I think I would not be as funny as I am now huh. if I had not, um, if I had figured out what I was good at when I was 12. Huh. So do you think when Terry Gross asks you, why did you become funny? <laughs> uh, there's many reasons. But I no, I do think I am good at many things. I, am, I think I'm a pretty talented, creative person. And I always have been creative. But I really tried to do stuff I was really not good at. Just naturally had no talent for wow. for a long time. And I think that's helped me... I think if I had excelled immediately, I would have been not a not a pleasant person. I I was closer to the the opposite of you, <laughs> and it wasn't just me. I was I would say I was okay at my sports, gymnastics and softball. But the teams I was on and the districts I was in, we happened mm-hmm. to always be the number one team. Mm-hmm. So I never really had a competition. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it meant that I dealt with my own nerves. But I think that has meant in my twenties that when I have encountered failure, it has felt very foreign. Yeah. Including in dating. Yeah. And it took me a long time until like this year basically to realize that like failing is the main part of dating. Oh yeah. Not relationships, but dating, like the process of meeting new people. You're not going to like most of them. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Most of those people will not marry you. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The vast majority. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) and that, I think it has taken me some time to realize like, oh, that is normal. That is okay. That is the point. Yeah, that's the process. It really is the point. And um, it, uh, it's still very uncomfortable to me yeah. to not get it, like to not succeed. And I think, um, I think, I don't want to be like too smug, like now I'm great at stuff and I'm super likable. <laughs> I'm still, I can still be very conceited. You witnessed me earlier tonight <laughs> feeling, feeling stuck writing and being actually afraid to write because it's something I identify myself with. And being a good writer? Yeah. Being a writer is part of how I I label myself. And so feeling like I might produce something I don't like can be um, paralyzing. Yeah. Um, feeling like I might fail at that. Uh, the one time I, came, I failed a test in college was nauseating. Mm. Um, the, um, but I do think... In the sort of practical experience, when I have a bad improv show, I shake it off in a matter of like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. When I um, embarrass, when I fall on the street, which happens, has happened at least three, five times this year. Yeah. One, One of which <laughs> ended in the ER. I, I'm not ashamed of myself. Yeah, it's I mean, like you forgot sli- your keys today. It's slightly <laughs> embarrassing, but I move on and yeah. I tell people it happened. Yeah. I, I think I'm pretty good at letting, letting that kind of stuff roll off me and bouncing back and not being like, oh, because that one 
thing I was trying to do. Did, because we were at dance, we went to a dance class. Oh, That's what you wanted to talk yes. about. We went to a dance class last Friday where we had to do, there had there was a part where I was like, I, a- ca- I cannot, my knees will not support me to bend as low as this it one was a, move. a Lizzo-themed dance party fitness class. And she had an, an alternative option for people who wanted to stand up and do moves. And I took it. Without shame. Mm-hmm. I've been in yoga classes where they say, if you don't move, if you don't want to do this, feel free to go to child's pose. And I just go straight to child's Hell pose. Hell yeah. But you did a lot of the floor work. But you didn't Later. Yeah, okay. Uh, there, was, there was very specific ones or in, earlier where I was like, that will hurt my body. Yeah. Um, and it's t- it took many, many years of being very bad at things and trying to do them and hurting when it didn't work. Yeah. For me to be okay being seen, not being able to do something. Yeah. Um, I've talked about this on the pod already, but my leaving the trail in 2016, I was like, mm-hmm. this is a huge failure. I didn't do the whole thing. I only did half of it, even though nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everyone's very, really impressed. Yeah, I was very much, <laughs> I was very much like, well, if I can't do this, then what? I can't do anything. I was just like, <laughs> I, I really just made up all these stories. I'm so glad I'm older now. Uh, Always. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's, I get it. And I I want to be clear that that being on track felt terrible. Mm -hmm. I was not evolved like this at the time. I was like, this makes me want to cry. It is possible you could have learned (laughs) that lesson in another way that was not so public. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> physically I do, I do think sometimes people fetishize their like failure and mistake stories in the past. I wouldn't have changed a single thing because oh, of what no. I learned about it. But I absolutely are... would have taken that spring to just do things I like. Yeah, there are ways to... to <laughs> and we're never going to learn every possible lesson. You no. Know? Like, and it's also a way to justify something that felt bad. Right. But um, Or something you didn't have any control over in the moment. And I think it's okay to say I would have made a different choice. But the choice I made was not wasted, which brings us back to the the post, which is like, you can, I think it's okay. People always say like, no regrets. And I feel like I've heard more in recent years. It's okay to regret things. It shows you've learned and grown. Right. I like to say, I wouldn't make that choice now. Yeah. But it's also okay to say, I can't change the past. And what happened wasn't for nothing. Right. Yeah. Um, We'll do a quick check in with Layla. Yeah, we really went off on a tangy. A tang- <laughs> Layla F. Saad, where you at, girl? Uh, so Layla... Uh, Just did a three-week book tour around the U.S. with her yeah. book, Me and White Supremacy, which I am still waiting for. I mean, I have the online version, but I want the hard copy. Uh, yeah, she's still... Yeah, it's not out yet, but she has been touring. Um, and when she got back, she had the post that we're going to talk about today. It was four days ago. Mm-hmm. Which would be uh, November 6th. Uh, She lives in Dubai. (laughs) Yeah, she's back in Dubai. She's got uh, a Ta-Nehisi Coates book, The Water Dancer, which is a new novel. And a beautiful latte. It's a real... It looks like an ad. And she's... Her caption... Says, I'm home. I hugged my husband, my babies, and my parents, slept and woke up in my own bed and felt the sun shining on my face. Yes, 
After three weeks of nonstop extroverting, I've got a nourishing introvert week planned ahead. The vibe is slow, quiet, love, joy. Mm. Breakfast alone with a good book is exactly what the self-care doctor called for. Smiley face. Yeah. And then there's a tweet of someone at Munaism. It says, for every hour I spend with someone, I got to spend 72 <laughs> hours alone. Uh, we picked this because I would say you are a master of uh, a nourishing introvert, introvert time. <laughs> Thank you. Regularly, Amy, we have different Saturday morning routines. I wake up pretty early. I do some food prep. I go to the farmer's market. I check out all the books on the street. And I come back home. Sometimes I go to the gym. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting up to your luxurious... <laughs> yeah, I sleep in late. I roll over. Sometimes I read in bed. I slowly start moving. I take out the dog. And then I go get coffee near the farmer's market and read some more or do crossword puzzles. And then walk through the farmer's market and I come back and then I read more <laughs> on the couch. And lately or she watch has TV been, and embroider. She has been rocking some chunky sweaters. Oh, love it. There's a new golden rod one that's really... Thank you. <laughs> yes, I got it from Target. Yeah. Um, so this... Uh, and you've got a, a planned introverted time coming up. Yes. Well, I thank you for saying that I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. It is something that I like to do. And, um, and you have helped me see the pride in it, that it is not an absence you. of doing something else. It is the inclusion of doing something meaningful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it is. I'm not... I, I think oh, I... I'm so sorry. She doesn't live in Dubai. She lives in Qatar. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's... Um, I, I, I can get pretty self-conscious and, and down on myself. I think I beat myself up most about the idea that I might be lazy and that I'm definitely a slob. Um, uh, and, and that can be hard, but when I'm feeling good about myself and in a positive state of mind, I think... I do very many things. Oh, yeah. And I have a lot of goals. And I'm constantly pursuing many project, personal um, projects that are run only on my own steam. The aforementioned uh, notebooks. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) writing lots of quotes down in notebooks. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I balance that out and balance out all the time I spend loving being around people and being in front of people and doing comedy and being in class discussions with needing to um, be with myself. Yeah. Um, and not, um, we've talked about how I'm a, a highly sensitive person. Um, there's a lot of times where I need to like ramp down all of the input that I'm getting mm-hmm. and get um, just like level out. And I think the the counterpoint that I'm not so good at is that when I have a chance to do something I'm really excited about, I, I bite off much more than I can chew. For instance, spending 10 days in North Carolina and being in uh, four different cities mm-hmm. in those 10 days and uh, in those four different cities, five different houses, <laughs> like sleeping places. Um and going to many major events and driving all over the state and coming back and being sick and, and overwhelmed and, and totally pre- wrung out. preparing for this upcoming uh, personal oh, yes. retreat that yes. you'll be doing over Thanksgiving. Tell, yeah. Tell us more. The readers oh, want thank to Thank you. Yeah. I um, Knowing that I'm going to do the similar writing off more than I can chew over Christmas because I love it, mm-hmm. uh, I'm 
Thanksgiving because I cannot afford to travel home to North Carolina. I am going to turn it into a personal retreat here in Philadelphia in our apartment. I'm going to cook myself a nice little personal Thanksgiving meal. Maybe a quail. Maybe a quail. Maybe a squab. <laughs> I said it. Pigeon for everyone. Pigeons for America. Um, uh, and uh, I'm going to set some creative goals mm-hmm. and also make some fun plans. I think I'm going to make a playlist. Um, due to time, mm-hmm. let's we'll check back in with how your plans are going for that next episode. Yeah, we really have been rambling a lot this episode. Um, but yeah, do just quickly. Yeah. Uh, what do you like to do to recharge? I like to read. Uh-huh. I like to cook. Mm-hmm. I like to hang out with you and talk to you or uh, my mom mm-hmm. or a, f- a friend. Um, uh, I I know that nature is an answer, and mm-hmm. I like find various ways to not do it. And then as soon as I get there, I'm like, oh yes, yeah. Um, and when I'm at work, what I do to recharge is is reconnect with with one of my faves. Mm-hmm. One of the that's right. I have favorite kids that I work with. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just like have a completely just creative conversation with them as opposed to talking about a specific thing that they're working on. Yeah. Um, and those are very enlightening. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll pat a Ralphie. Oh, yeah. Ralphie is great. Yeah. He is just softness with very little information to shove into yeah. your brain. I guess my ultimate recharge is sleeping. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I Plugging my phone love in. a nap. Yeah, I did nap today and yesterday and the day before. Um, so we are going to do a quick reading from our new Wilf because mm. I've been reading her all day from her new book, uh, The Witches Are Coming. Beautiful and- cover, black with uh, uh, just a strong font. That is colored yellow to orange mm-hmm. to red ombre. Mm, an the ombre. Font. A good ombre. It's very sort of autumnal because the I witches have, are coming. I like how the title and her name are the same size and font. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that, mm. but you're right. It's like, Lindy West, the witches are coming. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm reading something from the first chapter slash the introduction, I guess, which is called They Let You Do It, which I think is an essay she published online, which I might have read. But I read it again today, and was like, this is great. I'm going to skip a little part in the middle. You won't be able to tell. Uh, all right. At the same time, have we ever been able to see it all more clearly? I cannot remember a more frightening time in all my life, and I cannot remember a time with more moral clarity. A historic number of female candidates have entered the race for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. Whatever the outcome of that election, we have now seen for the first time in history enough women together on a presidential debate stage that the facts of their gender cannot be central. It might be too late for me to think I could be president, but it is not too late for our our daughters. And all the activists and organizers and storytellers and parents and politicians who've been doing this hard work for decades without solidarity, without acclaim, they're still here too. There are so, so many of us. Mm, I just got chills. Right? Yeah, I'm thinking about how it's true. Gender has, it has come up in the campaign, but not not in really a meaningful way yet. Yeah, I mean, in, in this essay, or in the essays of this book, she talks about the wild double standard. Mm. 
between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and the th- the how how well she had to do it everything mm-hmm. while he was actively like blowing ex- exploding his own campaign oh over and over again things that would have failing s- over and over again. sunk any campaign oh, before Jesus. it and sorry I should have read but and it always came back to things about her her womanness mm-hmm. her uh, femaleness yeah. And and that will happen again if we have, if, you know. Yeah, but I mean, but and she is based on every other first female in yeah. various things. But it's been really great to just see how many women are on have been on the stage at those debates. But sort of beyond that that political sphere, I love the optimism or. The, the realist optimism of what she's saying, which is, this is a scary time. But I think I heard on um, someone, some guest on on Being mm-hmm. say something that, um, uh, that uh, a revolution is happening in America, that we are, we are losing something. And mm. what we are losing is our ability to be in denial. Oh, interesting. And I was like, ooh. Ooh. But that it's just happening at this sort of alarming rate. Yeah. Not in a, like sort of alarming in a good way, but it's also extremely challenging. Yeah. <laughs> but people more and more less able to sort of compartmentalize and sort of do the double consciousness that allows really hateful things yeah. to happen. I don't know what the lifespan of the United States is, but this does feel like a midlife crisis. Mm, yeah. Um. Um, it feels... But I like that thought that, like, it's, yeah, it's really, it's alarming, and it's scary. This can be the storm before the next stage. Yeah, or this is the sort of, um, this is the, you know, the terrible fever that gets rid, that kills your infection. Mm, Perhaps. You know? Yeah. Uh, I hope the book remains realistically optimistic. And also, I think one of my thoughts that I used to comfort myself when I feel scared about the world is that everyone that I've been admiring and who have put my hope and trust in before are still out in the world working. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at you, Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll turn my attention to Malia and Sasha now. Oh. The next gen. All right, it's time for... <whistles> Wilf Whistle. Uh... Yeah, so what's your wolf whistle? My wolf whistle, uh, well, the one last time was about getting some sustenance and sustainable life in Mm. online dating, and so far that's been going well, so thank you, Wilfs. (laughs) For Um, your blessing. Yeah, my question is, when, I'm interested in when did you, when was the first time you expected to feel imposter syndrome somewhere and you didn't? Ooh. Uh... Because I imagine they've all gone through phases of like, they do, they, this, how many people came out to see mm-hmm. my talk? Don't they know that I'm just an essay, a blogger, if you're mm-hmm. Glennon, or I'm, you know, when did, when did they lose the just? Yeah. When were they like, oh yeah, we got 600 people out there? Great. Can't wait to talk to them. Yeah. 
Um, cause I That's still, wild. <laughs> yeah, I still face, I still face imposter syndrome and I expect to for a long time. Yeah. It keeps me humble. Um, <laughs> but, but I wonder, you know, how do how, that's, I guess that's what it is. How, cause for me, I do a quick slide from imposter syndrome to smug, uh, <laughs> overconfident where I'm like, I got this and I don't, I don't got this. And so I just, yeah, I wonder about that. Uh, how do they balance that middle. I would love to know. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll answer via Instagram. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Quick announcement. Very exciting. Uh, We tagged Elizabeth Gilbert in our Instagram post last week. And for the second time Mm. that we have tagged her in something, she liked the post. And you may think, well, doesn't she just like everything that mentions her? No. (laughs) I went through her, like, things she's been tagged in. And she, you know, she's very engaged. And she likes a fair amount of stuff. But by no means does she like everything that she's tagged in. And also... Only about six or seven other people liked that post, which is crazy. <laughs> that that one-seventh she... of our likes came from the subject. <laughs> uh, I don't believe she's listening. I think she sees it. Right. And she's like, yeah, that's yeah, nice. She's not listening. I don't think she's listening. If she is, hi, we love you. <laughs> but also, um, why? <laughs> and like, send us an email. If you have time, you probably don't. It's fine. Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> We don't really check it, but I do. It's on my phone. Oh, good. Anyway. Yeah. Hi, Liz. So um, what's your wolf whistle? Mine is actually for Liz Gilbert. So this is convenient because now we know she's a fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's highly facetious. Mm-hmm. Um, I am in a fiction writing class right now. And my crisis earlier was how... How does anyone ever write actual fiction that's not just about themselves? Yes. I don't understand. I don't know how to not essentially just write as write about myself. Do you think if you had more time to do lots of research? Because I know there's always research that goes into it. I think, yeah. I think if I could know more about a subject that's not from my own life, it would be easier. And then it is fictional in that, like, I've never been a substitute teacher, but I'm writing about a woman being a substitute teacher. But, like, the feeling I'm describing of writing on a chalkboard is the feeling I have. Which I guess everyone like, is describing their own sensations in the world. Let's say if you interviewed a frequent substitute teacher mm-hmm. and got their take and that influenced a lot of how you wrote that character. It's never going to be all substitute teachers you're representing no no I but I do think it's like it feels very transparently that I am processing and sort of describing events from my own life Mm. through a slightly altered scenario and that feels cheesy as you said a little bit it feels a little trite Uh. and I think I could do it well with a lot of revision and input Mm -hmm. but I'm curious I'm just curious how you get to the point. Do other people's brains just work differently than mine? Or is it... Is it a developed thing? Yeah. How do you get to the point where you like... It's like, oh, I'm going to write about a life I so distant from what I've yeah. had. Which is like, I don't think... Well, I don't know. She did work at Coyote Ugly. But, yeah, but she like, didn't... But she, she's not a, a sexless, isolated botanist. Like the main character in the signature of all things. Yeah. Living in the whatever decade that that woman lived in like i think that many of the much of the fiction she writes is pretty specific Mm -hmm. but of course the more specific you get the more general it can appeal because it does yeah it always includes these larger human things that we all share yes so like you know we may not have all written on a chalkboard in front of a class but we've all wanted to make something good for other people to like that's true 
Thank you for understanding mm. that that was what that scene was about. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you didn't even read it, but that's what it was about. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let us know. Come to our improv show next Saturday. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I won't tell you the date. You've got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, get in touch. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, this is how we end. Nope, nope, I didn't do it. <laughs> no, oh, God. <laughs> Left